Alrighty. Ah, where's my coffee? Found it. Ah. I love coffee. I love Jesus, and I love the Bible. God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, greetings and salutations, dear ones. This is Paige. There's my coffee. Let's get. We're going to get into some Bible today. We're going to be doing Romans chapter 14. We are getting close to the end of Romans. How amazing is that? Uh, today, Paul is going to be talking about... Um, something that is a bit of a soapbox issue for me, and that is uh, how believers treat other believers who think differently than they. Hmm. Today, it seems like uh, certain de some denominational folk, and this isn't everybody, uh, some denominational folk look down upon other denominational folk because they're not of the same denomination. Sometimes the things that divide denominations from each other are considered areas of weakness on one side and areas of strength on the other. Um, I have some friends of mine in the Protestant world who absolutely believe all Catholics are dead in their sin and can't possibly be saved. And I have some Catholic friends, brothers and sisters, who absolutely believe that some other denominations are absolutely outside the realm of being saved. And they have their reasons, and uh, I believe none of them are right. <laughs> it, you know, it just seems like we practice division more than anything else. And it started back in the first century. There are two basic main groups in Christianity. Now, Paul was called to the Gentiles, but there were Jew there was a Jewish contingent. There were Jewish believers. This faith, this Christianity, the way as it was called, was birthed out of Judaism. And the original believers were Jews who saw in the worship of Messiah a beautiful realization of their many feasts and festivals, sacrifices, the many uh, things that they did as Jews now find their fulfillment in Messiah, Jesus. And you can sense their joy. I have some Jewish believer friends of mine and the joy they have in observing the different feasts and festivals and holy days um, dietary practices. To them, it's joy. They see it as pointing to Jesus, Yeshua. 
And it is a wonderful thing to see. Then I have other friends of mine who are in my camp. I'm a Gentile. It's not that I don't love or appreciate the festivals and the uh, holy days and and the dietary things that, that my Jewish believer friends participate in. I don't understand it and I don't pursue it. So there are there's opportunity for division. And that's what Paul is talking about here today in Romans 14. So let's take a look at it. I'm going to start off by reading an introduction out of the commentary that I, uh, I've been following with. Um, in Romans 14, 1 through 15, 13, Paul rebukes the Roman Christians for standing in judgment over one another. They have divided into two camps over certain issues. Those whom Paul labels weak in faith hold that believers shouldn't eat meat, that they should regard certain days as more holy than others, and perhaps that they should not drink wine. The strong, by contrast, feel free to eat meat. They feel free to drink wine and to treat every day alike. Paul comes down on the side of the strong, but his main concern is the disunity that these issues are creating within the Christian community. He wants both weak and strong to respect the views of the others and to cease the mutual recriminations that are tearing apart the community. At both the beginning and end of chapter 14, Paul characterizes the weak with respect to their faith. Now, Paul's use of the word faith throughout Romans requires that it refers to the trust in Christ that that is fundamental to the gospel. But here, he's taking a little bit different angle on faith. Here in 14.2, he says this faith is being looked at here from a specific angle, what one think one's faith in Christ allows one to do. What does your faith in Christ allow you to do? The person who is, quote-unquote, weak in faith, therefore, is not necessarily someone who is immature in his or her faith. It is, rather, a person who has not yet come to the conviction because of the pull of a life spent in Judaism that the Christian faith allows him or her to eat meat, drink wine, and ignore Jewish holy days if they wish. So someone who's weak in faith and strong in faith. This isn't a superior or inferior thing. It isn't someone who's immature, could be very mature in their faith. It's just that they're locked in from a former life spent in Judaism, and this has been their life, and this is part of their culture. And they might not see any reason to not embrace the holy days, the dietary restrictions. To them, it's an act of worship. That doesn't mean they're weak in their faith. He's just using those two terms to separate the camps. Now, he says here, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable manners. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, Servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. All right. Now, from the person who feels that it's okay to eat any kind of meat, he sees the person who has dietary restrictions based on their Judaism, he sees them as weak because he sees them as someone who's afraid of the idolatry that 
eating meat offered to idols represents. He sees them as weak. But conversely, the person from the Jewish side of the household would view the Gentile believers as weak because they can't overcome the temptation of the culture around them. You have to remember that for centuries, the Jewish nation worked very hard at maintaining their cultural uh, identity. They worked very hard at remaining different, not being in the, not being of the world. It was a very different thing to be Jewish. And some of the Jewish believers maintained that that was still supposed to be the way it was supposed to be. And so they maintained their Jewishness in the midst of their Christianity. Now, the Gentile believers would look at that and say, you're weak because you're free now to do whatever you want. And the Jewish believer would see the Gentile believer and call them weak because you're giving in to the culture that surrounds you. You can see it's kind of a sticky wicket. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. I have Christian friends of mine who absolutely believe that Saturday is the Sabbath. And we should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's what the law says. And so they set aside Saturday as their day of worship and their day of rest. They don't work on Saturday. They don't do anything on Saturday that smacks breaking that commandment. To them, it's an act of worship. Now, I don't believe that way. To me, Sunday is my day of worship and my day of rest because on Sunday, I celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. That's my thinking on the matter. But I do not and will not look down on my fellow believers who worship on a Saturday. And if I were in their house, I would worship on Saturday with them. If they were in my house, well, the person I'm thinking of right now, they would worship with me on Sunday. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. My friend who worships on Saturday does so as an act of worship and adoration to to their God, to my God to our God. I cannot look down on them for worshiping him. They also have very strict ideas as to diet. I will not look down on them for that. To them, it's an act of worship, an act of declaring their allegiance to God, to the world around them, to be different. And I'm okay with that. It isn't how I think. But I'm not saying my way of thinking is superior or inferior or theirs is superior or inferior. They 
are fully convinced in their own mind. They eat what they eat and give thanks to God for it. They worship on the days they want to worship and give thanks to God for it. My job is to accept that and not look down on them. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's God's judgment seats. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. In the issue of special days or dietary restrictions, neither one of those things figures into the formula for salvation. Salvation is is justification through grace, through faith. I'm justified through faith, through by the grace of God. What happens after that point is between the believer and God. How do you express your relationship with Christ? In your life, what do you do that expresses how you feel about God? Some Christians believe and practice dietary restrictions special holy days. My Messianic Jewish friends are all over embracing Jewish culture because they see it as pointing to Yeshua and they it's an act of worship for them. I will not look down on that. My culture is different. What I do is different. I don't consider them weak. They don't consider me weak. We consider ourselves different. When it comes to being saved, it's justification through faith. Beyond that, it's a personal walk between you and God, how you express yourself. Now, we'll say, as I've lived my life, and I'm 60, I'll be 66 in a week, four days actually. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was very, very, very strict I was very, very, very confined in my what I believed and what, what I believed I could do as a Christian, how I should behave, the places I could go, the uh, things I could drink or eat. And as I've walked with Christ over the years, I won't say I've loosened up, but I've come to realize that anything I do needs to be done in reference to Jesus. And here's a great example. All right, when I first got saved, I absolutely would have gasped at the thought of having any alcohol as a believer. Um, the church I was part of absolutely frowned on it, forbade it. And through the years, I've co- I have now come to the point where I'm not... Uh, averse to having a bottle of beer at home in the privacy of my house. I'm not adverse to having a glass of wine with a meal. But if I know that it offends you, I'm not going to do it because I love you. It's not that important to me. We're going to see more of that here in a minute. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, 
Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. That's what I was just talking about. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If someone absolutely believes that drinking a single drop of alcohol is sin, for me to convince them to have a beer with me would be causing them to sin because in their mind, in their conviction, in their act of worship, in living their life, they be- not drinking any alcohol is an important part of that. If I were to convince them through logic and persuasion that, hey, have a beer, it's no big deal, you're not going to hell for having a beer, and they were to have a beer, but it's not something that God has told them, it's not something that they are convinced of, then I'm causing that brother or sister to sin. And that is my fault. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, from that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. You're flaunting your liberty. Come on, you can you can have a beer. Come on, you can have some meat. Eat up. This is good stuff. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. All right, I have a friend. I'm not going to mention his name, but every man should have a friend like this guy. And he is... Um, I've known him for 30 years, I think. And we hardly ever see each other because he lives far away. But we message each other regularly. We chat with each other. Sometimes we'll have Zoom talks. And B and I will um, chat. And you need to know a few things about him. He's on the autism spectrum. And uh, he has uh, he has a mind that's amazing as many many autistic people do he's on the genius he's on the genius spectrum i believe and he his mind never stops it's like a hamster on a wheel he's brilliant in his work as a computer language coder and he's brilliant as a musician um if you ever want to feel like you are an intellectual midget, try to engage him in a conversation on astrophysics. <laughs> uh, he, he's a brilliant man. But his mind never, ever stops. And as that's the case, he has trouble sleeping. And because he has trouble sleeping, he wrestles with depression. He has chronic depression. The only thing that has helped him is marijuana. He's got a prescription for some medical marijuana, and it's very strong, potent stuff. Trust me in this. Uh, and some, and the only way he can sleep and get restful, deep, 
sleep is to smoke some marijuana before he goes to sleep, before he goes to bed. Now, he gets lit. All right? He's, uh, it's medical marijuana, but it's still the real deal. But it, it slows his mind down. And he can relax and he can fall into a deep, restful sleep. Now, if I'd open up this conversation with, I have a friend who smokes marijuana every night before he goes to bed. The tone of judgment that would be coming off many of my Christian brothers and sisters would be amazing. And if I told you he's a Christian brother and he smokes marijuana before he goes to bed, the judgment would be huge. Many of you would look down on him for being a weaker brother, giving into the culture that's around him. But when you don't know or understand the context that he's living in, that would be your response. But when I told you that he's autistic, his brain is going a million miles an hour, he can't slow down, he can't fall asleep, he suffers from depression, and marijuana helps his brain to slow down so that he can sleep. And because he can get some sleep, he doesn't wrestle with depression as much, and he's able to function in his day-to-day living. And he's a believer. He is a Christian. When I put the proper context in front of you, I believe that most people who know me would make the appropriate decision concerning my friend and accept him for who he is. He's not weak because he gives in to that evil weed marijuana. That's his way of dealing. It's his only way of dealing with what his brain does. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Wine. Wine is an intoxicant. You can drink too much wine and get drunk. Or beer. Or whiskey. Any of these alcoholic drinks. You can drink and get drunk. But you can also drink and not get drunk. Why would anybody want to drink an alcoholic beverage but yet not get drunk? There's health benefits when anything's taken in moderation. I could go into the medical side of the house. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, on a hot day, if I've been outside in the weather on a hot day and I come back in and my wife has made a taco dinner, I like a beer with my taco dinner. I just like a beer. And there's a certain brand of beer that I like. But I'm not going to go out on a, uh, I'm not going to go out on a, uh, to a picnic and be tossing back beers. I'm not going to be going out to a, 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 what do they call those when they go to football games, tailgate party and toss back beers or wine. Or whiskey. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go into a restaurant and drink a beer. To me, it's just, I see no problems with it when I have a beer at home by myself when nobody's around. I'm not going to do it in public because I don't want to offend somebody who might have a problem with that. So, I will not 
drink beer or alcohol in public to destroy someone for whom Christ died. That would be sin and it would be on me. Now, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink or, or drink wine or to do anything else that would cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you do believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Now, you get to hear what I believe about these things because I'm thinking with my mouth open and that's what I do best. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Paul boils it down to this. As it relates to Christ, as it relates to your relationship with God, everything you do in your life should be measured against that. If you feel that drinking any alcoholic beverage will sully your reputation with God, your your relationship with God, then don't do it. And if I know that that's how you feel, it is incumbent upon me to not try to change your mind. It's also incumbent upon me not to flaunt what I take as a personal freedom in front of you to cause you to stumble. This is a, a case of uh, really mutual edification. And here's what I mean by that. If I know that alcohol bothers you, I won't drink in front of you. I'm not going to flaunt my freedom in front of you. Paul talks about that later, I think, in Galatians. If you feel that alcohol is absolutely not right. And we have a disagreement in that area. My response to you would be, I won't drink in front of you. I won't flaunt my freedom in front of you. Your response should be, I won't hold that against you. I just think you're wrong. Or I disagree with you. We need to have grace with one another. I was at a dinner one time. And a chaplain, a Presbyterian chaplain was sitting across the table from me. And he noticed my wife and I praying over our meal before we ate. And he, he leaned over and asked me quietly, will it offend you if I have a glass of wine with my meal? I was so impressed by that. I told him, go ahead. No, it doesn't. And that was a time in my life when I didn't drink anything. I hardly drink anything now, but I recognized in him a heart of humility that could not be ignored. And he was living out what this Romans chapter 14 talks about. This is probably uh, Paul's best explanation of loving your neighbor as yourself, what that looks like, putting flesh to it. Real life rubber meets the road stuff. I will not 
berate you or look down on you for having a different religious practice than I in your faith walk. I would hope that you would not look down on me and that if you do see something that we disagree with each other on, let us both do the honor of praying for each other in that area. Maybe God will change one of our our hearts. Back then, the big issue was Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Jewish believers having a hard time walking out of Judaism into the freedom given them in Christ. Gentile believers having a hard time dealing with what they feel or felt was an overly structured and legalistic view of the faith that they saw in their Jewish brothers and sisters. It was a big deal. All right. Well, that settles that for today. Glory. Oh, tomorrow, Romans 15. It's going to be great. This is Mr. G. Here's my coffee. And I, ladles and jelly spoons, I'm out of here. Bye-bye. I hope I'm not offending anybody by drinking coffee. Ah.